Thank you. Can somebody risk a hallelujah? hallelujah. It's been a great week. And uh, I'm not going to embarrass Bridget by saying she had a birthday this week. So I'm not going to say that. Um, I got it wrong this week. I must confess. It's time to be confessional. I took her out for coffee or tea. And it was probably the worst cup of tea in the world. So when we have the standing joke now, we said, shall we go out for something to drink? And she said, yes, let's go for a cup of tea. <laughs> Hell hath no fury like a woman <laughs> whose tea was spoiled. But thank you. I remember years ago um, working with a man who became a very close friend and a very wonderful mentor in things pertaining to the personhood, the presence of, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, as Bridget was reading, I thought she was going to go into one of his most quotable quotes when he talks about the fact that when Pentecost came, there was a fire for every head. And literally, it was like, and if you ever heard Reinhardt preaching on Pentecost, he said, saints were going with a flame on their head. And I could still see him, you know, wandering around and actually, and, uh, you know, and uh, the flame on every head. As he said, heaven's power station resident in every believer. Some of you are not quite, the lights aren't on yet, but the power station is there anyway. And I remember the first time he told me the story. And uh, the reason why he told it to me is because at that point in time, I was working um, uh, into distributing Christian music around South Africa where we were living. I was, I was born there. And uh, he was going to Botswana to buy airtime for a radio station in Gaborone. And actually from that point in time, reach central southern Africa with the gospel through radio. And as he landed at Gaborone Airport, which is about a few miles out of town, but not having enough money even to catch a taxi, walked into town. And as he was walking to town, on the right-hand side of the road, as I remember it, he walked past the National Football Stadium generally on the outskirts of a town, city, or whatever, because that's where the park would be. And as he walked past it, he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, I want you to preach the gospel for me in that stadium. Now, up until that point in time, he'd been a missionary in a country called Lesotho, where, as he would say, if they would have five or ten people in a mud hut while he's preaching the gospel and one got saved, it was revival. but he heard the voice of the Lord. So he got into town, went to his uh, place where he was staying, some bed and breakfast type place, and actually began to say, God, is this really you? And God said, yeah, I want you to preach the gospel in that stadium. And uh, so he began to go through the yellow pages that then was, you remember the old yellow pages before cell phones, and look for churches in the town and, 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 and say, listen, I was walking to town this morning, and and a novel, I heard God speak to me, and God said to me, I want you to preach the gospel for me, with, for me in the stadium. And God said, who are you? He said, I'm nobody, but I've heard God. Anyway, cut a very long story short. Out of all the churches that he could phone, one church said, we'll support you. But the pastor said, on one condition, please, 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 don't. 
go into the stadium. Let's rather go into the town hall because it already seats a couple of hundred, maybe a thousand people if you get them crammed in Africa style. He said, I only have a hundred people. And if all my people come, we will still be very small in this hall. Okay. So he said, I'll come, but we'll go into the town hall. But what he didn't tell the pastor is he said, but, but, I'm also going to book the stadium to run immediately once we start. In case I've heard from God. You know, sometimes we need to have the in case I heard from God moments as well. Yeah. Let's be honest. That looks so spiritual. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. It's yeah. Be, yeah. Anyway, kind of very long story short. Now, I won't go into all the details. They had the first meeting in the town hall, and the pastor came and said to him, he said, wow, it's wonderful to have you here. It's great. He said, all my people are here. And I said, right, I said, I counted them, left to right and right to right. He said, and there were 100 people. He said, they're all here. And right, I began to preach, and the power of the Holy Spirit came. And as the power of the Holy Spirit came, miracles, and I'll go into details, which I'll spare you them right now, not because it's boring, but because of time. Things began to happen that by the second night, the town hall was bulging at the seams because children who were paralyzed were healed, deaf were healed. People were literally hearing God is in this place. And on the third night when they thought this is impossible, we're going to have a, we're going to have a problem here. They said, what are we going to do? And Ryder said, I've already booked the stadium. And for the first time in the ministry of Christ for Nations as became known around the world, they went from the town hall into the stadium. And 10,000 people filled the stadium. It was capacity for the stadium. Meetings went night, night, night after night after night. And God began to do things. And students, because the student city began to come. And on the second to last night, the Holy Spirit spoke to Ryan again. And he said, tomorrow night, I want you to pray in this place for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to quote Ryan out. I'm, this is where he told it to me. He said, so I said to the people, tomorrow night, you need to come because something is going to happen in this place that your eyes have never seen. He said, actually, I was prophesying because I had never seen it myself. <laughs> the bishop of Gaborone was informed that Reinhard Bonnke was going to pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit for those who came. And he came and said, please, Mr. Bonnke, please, 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 please. This is a public place. We don't want an exhibition that embarrasses the church. And this bishop got hold of one of the, the, the committee members and said, please ask Bonnke to change his mind. Please, would you, so he ran to Ryan and said, this guy's serious, he wants you, he said, what are you going to, what, what shall I tell him? And Ryan said to me, he said, I will do what the Holy Spirit said to me, because it's about time the bishop learned about the Holy Spirit. Anyway, the final night, the Saturday night came. I wasn't there, so I'm telling you what I've heard, 
as a first-hand testimony from Ryan himself. He stood on the platform, and his interpreter was next to him, and he just said, I want you to close your eyes, raise your hands, and I want you just to begin to worship the Lord in, 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 in your own language. He said, I didn't know what else to say. He said, so I said to him, and on my voice, I want you to shout one big hallelujah. He said, I didn't, I mean, what, if you've never done it, what do you do? Anyway, he said, as they shouted hallelujah, it was as if an invisible hand came and swept across 10,000 people. And literally, like a farmer with a sickle cuts down a field, 10,000 people fell under the power of the Holy Spirit without a single person laying a finger on them. Now, the reason that story is not to give you something to make you feel impressed or whatever, or because of trying to uh, make a story up or tell a story about somebody who's going to be with Jesus. And actually, to be fair, he's seeing far greater things now than he's ever seen. But the reason for that story is because in that town of Gaborone, there were people then already, there were people present that were kind of, as Mark Yardo said a couple of weeks ago, they were believers but not true disciples. But others, there were people who were worshiping animists, people who were actually worshiping ancestral spirits, people who were worshiping and doing things that actually we would consider to be witchcraft or are witchcraft. People who actually had their own version of gods with a little g. What the determining and deciding thing was that changed Gaborone and launched a ministry was the presence of the Holy Spirit. Changes everything. In fact, if you read and study Pentecost, every commentator that actually studies it at all will come to one conclusion. Pentecost was the birthplace of church today. Now, you're gonna perhaps think me being unkind, but I'm gonna say this. Church today very often becomes the death place of Pentecost as was revealed. Just saying. Pentecost is the birthplace. And over the last few months, it's not been over the last few weeks, actually last few months, I've been, there's a, you know what I'm like, I've said this many times. I, you know, I, long before I preach, a scripture begins to become almost like a, 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 like a pearl irritant in my spirit. And I began to hear a scripture that I've, uh, I went to my old Bible. In fact, I brought my old preaching Bible that I've used many times, but the prints got so small and my eyes got so whatever, you know, that I, I actually got a new Bible. But I've actually dug out my old Bible because there's, there's things in that Bible I made notes of years and years ago. And actually going back, I was just looking at it again this morning and I made notes all around the scripture and I never actually ever saw it. And it took God's, intervention a completely other way for me to suddenly read the scripture. And I want to read it to you very quickly. It's in the book of Numbers. I'm oh, sorry, Deuteronomy rather. And it's the 32nd. Where's my glasses? The 32nd chapter. And I don't have time to go into in great detail, but Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 31 says the following. 
and I want you to leave this with you. And I'm aware of the fact that some people, and I don't want anybody to have to leave before, they ha before we finish. So I'm going to try to keep my thoughts concise so that we can actually end together and actually have communion together. So if you've got to go, go. But if, I'm going to try to be concise. And that's no pressure for you to stay, by the way. But Exodus chapter 32 and verse 31 says, Deuteronomy, oh, that's all right. It's all in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> For their rock is not like our rock. For their rock is not like our rock, as even our enemies concede. For their rock is not like our rock. Now I want you to project thousands of years later since Moses sang this or uttered this song, a couple of thousand years later than Pentecost, 2023, on the 28th of May, this year, this moment, this time, and think about the world in which you and I live and actually consider these words for yourself. And their rock is not like our rock. Now, by the way, and I, I hear this often being said these days, and just as a matter of FYI, um, people often say, oh, well, of course, you shouldn't preach in today's context from the Old Testament. I've never heard something more stupid. I, I, I'll tell you why, and sorry if I've just offended you because you think that by yourself. Which is, or what are the scriptures Jesus preached from? What are the scriptures quoted in the New Testament? from? What is the Bible that Jesus grew up learning to, to quote from? So I'm not going to get into dispute with you, but actually before you dismiss it, consider what you're dismissing and then consider again. So when Moses at the end of his leadership comes to Israel and begins to feel there's this thing he's got to do, this final thing. And by the way, Jericho has already been visited by the spies. Israel is standing at the point of transition. Moses isn't sure exactly when the end is coming, but he knows it's coming because God said to him, Moses, you'll see the land of promise, but you're not going to go in it. Why? Because when I told you to honor me in front of people, you actually dishonored me by disobeying me. Now, Bridget and I were talking as we were driving somewhere this week, and I tell you, it's, it's a terrible thing to tell your wife something spiritual while you're driving because she goes, it's very holy, and suddenly you kind of think, whoa, you know, do I raise my hands and say, I surrender all? But you can't do that on a motorway or close your eyes. But I tell you something, there was a real sense of, wow, this is impactful stuff. You know, because Moses was still the leader. Just get this. He was still the leader. Moses was still leading Israel. But because at the point of challenge, he capitulated. Something of what God had intended for him to be a recipient of, never transpired. Now, by the way, I know Moses is in heaven because he appeared with Elijah at the transfiguration. So don't misunderstand this. But I want to say to you that there is a point in this time, in time for us right now 
<coughs> where we as the people of God are facing a challenge of honoring God in order for us to, number one, first honor him and then become recipients of his purpose or capitulating, and I'm not saying lose your salvation or land up in some place of torment, but actually miss the opportunity of possessing the full promises of God. I'm just saying. And if you want to be challenged, and we were going to read it, but to be honest with you, we wimped out, Bridget and myself, because Deuteronomy chapter 32 The Song of Moses, in today's context, will make any thinking Christian pause for thought. If you haven't read it recently, go and read it again. But read it listening to all that's happening on social media. Read it listening to what's all happening in the news. Read it and then think, God, what are you saying to us right now? He starts off by saying this, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, as I said. But actually, Moses starts off by saying, he says, listen, O heavens, I will speak here on earth the words of my mouth. Let my teaching be like rain and my words descend like dew. Am I reading the right chapter? Yes, I am. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A God, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. We used to sing a song. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work. Remember that song. Thank you, yes. I'll sing the first verse, you hum the second. Okay. I want to proclaim the God who is our eternal rock. He goes on to talk about this rock as being our God. And he goes on and he says this. He says, this God is the God of Israel. Here called Jeshurun. I'll get this right. Jeshurun. And actually, it's the name of Israel depicting their faithfulness to God. But listen to what he says in verse uh, 15. It says, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, filled with food, and became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rock, his Savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons which are not gods. God Gods that had not that they had not known, gods that had recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. You deserted the rock your fathers, you fathered you, and forgot the God who gave you birth. Now, as I said, you need to read the, the whole chapter for yourself because actually we're going to realize that God, we're living in days where the song of Moses could have been sung over a generation of today. Genuinely. Not being dramatic, genuinely. Talking about foreign gods have become the replacement for the God who is eternal. And thank you for that word from the Lord today. Because this God we're talking about, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God isn't God since the earth. God was God before the earth. Okay? But listen to this. Get this. Every man God created who has begun to worship an idol created by man is referred to here as worshiping a God that God says has become a destruction and distraction for us. I want to say that again. God who predated everything, created man who began at the beginning 
in creation. And that God says, those who have since I create them, who fathered them, have replaced me, the one who fathered them, with gods that they invented. That's a sobering thought. That is a thought which begins to say, God, we have locked ourselves outside of eternity because actually in time, since in the beginning God and in the end God and in, between, in this kind of beginning and end situation, we have created God to replace eternity. Quite a thought, isn't it? And I remember now when Paul was in Athens and he was speaking to the Stoics and the Epicureans. They weren't football teams. They were actually guys who were kind of debaters. And the Stoics and Epicureans were actually saying, you're preaching foreign gods because you're talking about a god we've never heard of. And they drag him off to a place called Areopagus. And in the Areopagus, he finds an altar to the unknown god. So in the midst of this entire sea of altars is one altar about the forgotten I am. And then Moses goes on in his story, and I want to finish with Moses and get on to the point of Pentecost, because actually he goes on to it and he says, Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. When Moses finished reciting all these words, this is now chapter, uh, verse 44 of chapter 32. He says, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. This is not just, they are not just idle words for you. In other words, hey guys, you know, I'm an old guy, I'm 120 years of age. Not me, Moses, okay. I know I look old, but don't look at me in that tone. I'm 120 years of age. I'm not sure how much longer I've got. He didn't actually know, but God in the next verse said, not a lot of time, Moses, actually. Go climb a mountain, and then you're gonna die. He said, but the words I'm speaking are not just for me venting. I'm not just making a noise. These words are the words of life. Now, in case you misunderstand why I'm saying this, and I was very aware of the fact that when I used to preach many years ago, my daughters used to come and say to me, because you know, they were small in those days, and they said, Daddy, when you preach, you look so angry. And I didn't have videos in those days, so I couldn't tell. So if I'm looking angry, I'm sorry, it's just the way I look. But, that, yeah, but Donna used to say to me, and you know Donna, she used to say to me, Daddy, can you smile a bit? Because I know you're not angry, but people need to like you. <laughs> well, some things haven't changed. But these are not just the words of a person venting. But guys, with all my heart, with every fiber of my being, I cannot overstate this in any way. I believe we're standing on the precipice of a change in our world, the likes of which we have never experienced in human history. I believe that. I believe that. And I'm not talking positively. I'm talking at a moment that if the church is not the church, we will land up worshiping gods with a small g that are not the God who created us at the expense of the God who created saying, you have deserted the one who fathered you. 
Now, the, the reason Pentecost looms so large for us in this is because God says, in the last days, aren't you glad God has the last days covered, Bruce? Aren't you glad God actually said, you know what, in the last days, which by the way, we are living in, in no question of a shadow of doubt, in th- the, the things are moving. I was listening to Elon Musk talking the other day in terms of AI, and he actually said, AI will destroy the human race. That's what he's saying. Well, I've got news for him. This age will end, but the world is God's and God's alone. But we are standing on the end of an age. And God says, at the end of the age, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And young men, and young ladies, and young ladies, and, well, never mind. Okay. (laughs) Every generation, male and female, will be represented in what God will do. And the outpouring of his power will be for one purpose only, (coughs) a return to Carmel, a return to a question, a provoking of the world around us to say, we hear you (coughs) speaking to us about the God who does amazing things, Elamites. People from the north of Africa, the south of Europe, all of them in Jerusalem saying, how is it that a bunch of people who are 120 in number without actually any kind of notable knowledge or wisdom beyond very average suddenly infused by the power of the Holy Spirit begin to take this center stage position, and as they begin to simply bathe themselves in this thing that God has promised by Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, as this begins to manifest amongst them, these people from all around the world, and by the way, when they said many devout people, it doesn't say devout Christians. There are many devout followers of foreign gods. Just saying. Just because a person's devout doesn't mean that they are discipled to follow Jesus. And it provoked one question. I'm going to close here. Because their gods, their rock is not our rock. Their hope is not our hope. Their home is not our home. Their destiny is not our end point. Their anchor is not our anchor. Yes, they may have faith, but I have more than faith. I have a faith that's attached to the anchor and you can have a rope without an anchor, but you will drift. You can have faith without an anchor and you will drift. Provokes a question. What does this mean? The early church, by the way, between Ascension and the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost would take 10 days 
not just to get ready to bring a, a sacrifice or an offering of first fruits, but have actually spent time in saying, God, we can't venture beyond this point without your presence. I was seven years of age. I actually remember it to this day. I, I can't tell you the date, but I can remember I was seven years of age and I could tell you the place where I encountered the Holy Spirit as a seven-year-old that changed my life. I've never been able to forget it. In fact, I, for me to deny Jesus would mean I'd have to deny what started for me in that experience because that's how real it was. What is this? People say about the Christianity, oh, it's a figment of your imagination. Really? I've said this before, I'll say it again. People don't lay down their lives for a figment of their imagination. People don't go to their personal horrific death, whether it's being eaten by lions, being crucified, which being boiled oil, where it's actually being dismembered. Actually, none of that happens for people who are just, well, you know, it's a, it's a nice idea to die for. Driving the car again today, Bridget asked me a question this week. And she said, if somebody was to hold a gun to your head, it's all her fault. You can blame her for this. If somebody was to put a gun to your head, do you think you'd have the moral courage to be able to say, shoot me, but I can never deny it? And I said to her, I can't say where I'll be, but I believe God would give us grace beyond our ability at that point in time because I've seen him do it for others. I've had friends who've been martyred, so I, I can say that. But then I began to ask myself the question already, if I cannot even, under the circumstances I live now, do what God's told me to do. Not to put myself under condemnation. How much of what I could achieve for God am I missing just because I'm not prepared to say, I worship a God who is not your God. I follow a rock who is not your rock. What is this? I mean, just 50 days before they crucified Jesus, don't tell me Jerusalem couldn't do that to 120 more people. Don't tell me. Listen, you know, in fact, the Jews knew that. In fact, we both know that actually even though Jesus was risen from the dead, some of the disciples were so terrified that they could be next, they hid. It took a guy called Thomas, who was the only guy leaving the room, by the way, which I think is quite a brave thing to do, in spite of everybody wanting to brand him as doubting Thomas, who actually comes back and says, I can't believe this because actually you guys are acting like it never happened. So why should I believe it myself? Then Jesus comes and says, Thomas, stop doubting, believe this is real. But on the day of Pentecost, there was none of them saying, let's shut the doors and so on. In fact, they made such a noise and such a noise was heard that 3,000 people came to know Christ because the crowd that gathered was immense. We don't know how many, but Jerusalem was stirred and was shaken. And as Alva read a little bit later, and actually not too many days later, they were gathered again and they said, God, we need more boldness. As if they hadn't done enough trouble already. And the whole place, they were shaken. And they began to speak the word, the word of God with boldness. What is this? I'm going to be very honest with you. And if you want to put me on your prayer list, feel free to do so. But I'll put you on mine as well. Because I think we all stand in need of something more than this. 
if this is as good as it gets within the context of us being a witness for Jesus today, we've got a way to go. No, I'm not looking for persecution. I'm not looking for martyrdom. I'm not looking to be weird. But you see, the spirit of Pentecost was not to create spectacle, but to make the church supernaturally equipped to do the work of God. What is this? And if we can't even risk being asked the question because we don't want to be looking like we're weird then I do question myself whether actually if we are being questioned about whether we'll take a position of I'm going to stand even though it costs me my life for Christ and it's going to take the grace of God for us to stand because the truth of the matter is we've already made a choice which is really very very hard to So Moses stands and says, guys, these words are not just my words. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I'd love to give you a, a hurrah, rah, rah. We left Egypt. We've been through the desert. And we've been to, and, and Joshua's here. And, and, you know, and, and Caleb is here. And, and by the way, everybody over the age of 20 is going to die. But that's, that's another story anyway. But, but the promise is still coming. And so he just said, guys, I've got to say to you, return to God. Return to God. Remember, return. And I think, and Arthur, elders, our focus has to be more upon us returning so that others can ask us why we're returning than for us to tell others to come, but they don't know what they're coming to. Oh, come to our church. We have a lovely time. You should taste the coffee. It's fantastic. And the biscuits afterwards are fantastic. Oh, great. Well, I can get biscuits from Tesco and I can actually better, I can get great tea and coffee if I go with Oliver and Bridget because he knows a great place to buy tea. No. <laughs> Just saying. There's no reason to build church. But have the presence of the Holy Spirit invade a room. Have a baby that has been horribly mutilated in an accident passed over the heads of parents and people standing in front of a hall in Botswana and as the child is handed over the top because they can't get the front and placed into the arms of a man who himself says I've never seen this before I don't know what's going to happen and suddenly the power of God begins to touch a baby and the arms and legs begin to vibrate read it it's in the book and Ryder said he said and God forgive me, I dropped the child. But he dropped the child and it fell onto its feet. And when this baby who had never walked dropped onto its feet and ran, you didn't have to invite people. You had to cope with the people who were coming because the spectacle became supernatural in its impact. What is this? Pentecost lost its power when it became the brand of a church and not the hallmark of the presence of Jesus. I said it became the brand of a church and stopped being the hallmark 
of the presence of God. Their rock is not our rock. When I think about it, I'm done. When I think about it, my question was, you know, we need to start beginning to define between theirs and ours. And if you don't know the difference between theirs and ours anymore, you've got a problem. See, we, we have buzzwords like everybody needs to be this inclusive thing. There are some things which are not inclusive. They're based upon truth, faithfulness, righteousness. Read it, it's in chapter 32. And theirs and ours is today's challenge. And I'm not sure that we pass that test as often as we should. But we can. So what is our prayer? Our prayer is come Holy Spirit. See, Jesus said to the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. Guys, don't leave. Don't, 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 don't become so keen to want to get up and do it. But stick around as long as it takes. And I will send by the gift of, by the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to take what belongs to me. He's going to unpack it. He's going to unwrap it. And he's going to say to you, this is what Jesus looks like. Would you like to look like him too? You know, the refiner's fire, when refiners actually find silver, I'm told that the refiner waits till the silver he is refining has been brought to heat, the dross taken off, brought to heat and dross. And then when the refiner looks into this heated silver and he sees his pure reflection in the silver, he takes the heat away. Because when the reflection of the refiner is in the silver, it's pure. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.